A word means what we decide it means. Things and events in and of themselves are not named until we name them. There is no secret name, with all due respect to T.S. Eliot, that you one has to discover. And things and events can actually have more than one name. And sometimes that name changes over time. But that does not mean the event or thing does not have an identity. And that identity never changes, even if the name does. Most people see the word baptism as a church word. Somebody gets dunked or sprinkled as part of a religious water fun day. They are partially right. Our, on our end, baptism really is that simple, just getting dunked or sprinkled. But on God's end, it's a lot more complex and powerful. But he's God after all, so it's no sweat. Baptism isn't a noun, it's a verb. Baptism is an act by which one is sanctified, initiated, and named. John the baptizer is knee-deep in the Jordan River, preaching and baptizing. Now, the banks are crowded with spectators, some that have just come to watch the show, and some who are hungering and thirsting for God. Jesus, the one whom John pointed to and cried out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He walks off the bank into the muddy and dirty water, and he bows his head. And John says, I know who you are. I can't baptize you. You have to baptize me. And Jesus says, let it be so for now, that all righteousness may be fulfilled. If baptism was just a religious water fun day where someone gets sprinkled or dunked, then to be honest, none of it would really matter. If baptism is where someone is sanctified, initiated, and named by God, then everything about it matters. In confirmation class, we talk about baptism as an event where God adopts us into his family and he forgives our sins. The last part is what Luther highlights in the catechism. But baptism is a lot more. If baptism were just about being forgiven, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to have been baptized because he never sinned. But if it's about being sanctified, which, by the way, means being set apart, if it means to be initiated and named, then we understand why Jesus had no problem stepping forward even in that muddy water and having John baptize him. In Luke 12, Jesus teaches us a few things about baptism. He says, I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how it consumes me until it is finished. Now, Jesus had already been baptized by John, and you don't need to be baptized a second time. No, this baptism that he's talking about is the crucible of Holy Week and the cross, his suffering and death to redeem the world. And so the baptism that fulfills all righteousness is not just a moment at the Jordan River. It's Jesus' whole life. He didn't just get sprinkled or dunked. His whole life, everything about him, brought us back into the presence of God. Now, thanks to St. Paul, we know that in baptism we died with him. And just as he rose from the dead, we too shall rise from the dead. But Paul also wants us to see in our baptism that God sets us apart, initiates us, and names us as his redeemed. In Ephesians 4 verse 5, St. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now, most folks know exactly what one Lord, one faith, one God and one Father of all means. If there's any question, it's about what one baptism means. Now, 
Does that mean there's only one kind of baptism? So you either get sprinkled or dunked and the other one's wrong? Or that you only need to be baptized once? Or, and this is where Jesus' words are so important, is it that in His baptism all righteousness was fulfilled? And now so in our baptism He is able to unite us with the Father into one faith which gives us the one hope that we need in order to be redeemed. In John 1 verse 24, there is an exchange between the Pharisees and John the baptizer. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah or Elijah or that prophet? I love this passage. See, if you didn't think that baptism was all that important, read this again. The Pharisees understood the need for baptism. And they assumed that it was so important, so holy and set apart, that it was reserved for the Messiah, Elijah, or that prophet. But it actually gets even better than that. See, in Mark 7, we get a glimpse of the church's ritual cleansings that were taking place at the temple. The Pharisees observed that some of Jesus' disciples were eating their bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees, in fact, all the Jews will not eat unless they wash their hands ritually, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, jugs, copper utensils, and dining couches. Did you hear that? The inhumanity of it. Preschoolers would literally die of starvation if they had to wash their hands before they could eat anything. And what about this dining couch is being washed. What's that all about? Mm. I guess since they ate laying down on their side, there was all that food slop, so yeah, you'd probably need to hose them down once in a while. Otherwise, they'd be pretty bad. The Pharisees fully understood the need for washing your hands, cups and pots, and even dining couches. But it was all about ritual. Setting something apart is different, not health or cleanliness. Baptism is beyond that. It's something even more special and holy, which is why they couldn't figure out why John was out in the Jordan baptizing people if he was not the Messiah, Elijah, or that prophet. They didn't stop him or condemn him. Maybe it was because John said, well, you know, I'm baptizing with water, but one far greater than I is going to show up and he will baptize you with the Spirit. But all of this just gives us something really important to chew on. Because 2,000 years ago, they were struggling not with the name of baptism, but what its identity was. Our baptism is not how we fulfill all righteousness. Jesus already did that for us. Our baptism is more than water and a few words spoken by a pastor. It is more than becoming a part of God's family. It is even more than having our sins forgiven. It is the gift of God that draws us into His presence, sanctifies, initiates, and names us as unique and unreproducible miracles of God. You know, our world is not good at understanding what sacred and holy mean. Sacred and holy means to be truly set apart. There was a time when people had Sunday go to meet and close. They ate out so rarely that it was a treat. They had plates and silverware that only got used on special occasions like Christmas or Easter. By the way, pig vacations? Rare. Christmas and birthdays were about the only time when you got presents. And Sundays were set aside for God and family. Most of that is no more. And to be honest, it's not coming back. It doesn't take a sociologist to note as we made the holy and sacred ordinary and we renamed them all so that they were very common. 
people lost sight of their identity and their worth. When baptism is just getting the kid done so mom will stop bothering you, instead of celebrating and embracing the mystical work of God in their life, it's like painting over a gold bar and just using it as a doorstop. Now last week I noted we often turn gospel into law and grace into works. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. You know, Lutherans are pretty specific about the reality, necessity, and how of baptism. And that verse that I just read, that gives us a pretty good reason why. Baptism is God's work, not ours. If it were our work, then it would actually matter how much water, who did the baptizing, and where the baptism was done. Now, if that were the case, if this was all about a show, hmm, then I would choose Aqua di Cristallo Tributo e Modigliani water. $60,000 a bottle. I'm not kidding for one liter. $60,000. By the way, who's going to do my baptism? I'd want Charlton Heston, who played Moses in the Ten Commandments. But since he's dead, I'd choose Morgan Freeman, because he's played God a lot in several movies. And I'm thinking either the Holy Land or Dollywood as a location. And followed by an endless buffet from Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out, and Ted Drew's frozen custard. I mean, let's face it, that would make a powerful statement. I mean, that would literally be the perfect baptism. I didn't get that, though. You see, instead, what I got was a Wednesday night at Prince of Peace Lutheran on Colorado Boulevard in Denver. It was my confirmation class that was watching while Pastor Sam and the vicar splashed water in my face and spoke the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I do think my grandma took my sister and I to Baskin Robbins for ice cream on the way home. And then... I had to do my homework. 500 years ago, somebody asked if their baptism was valid because it had been done in a Roman Catholic church by a Roman Catholic priest. And Martin Luther turned and he said, if the devil or his grandmother baptized you, as long as they used water and used the words out of the Bible, it is a valid baptism and never be worried. Somebody else said, is it okay if the water is warm? And here's a quote from Martin Luther. Tell that blockhead it's still water. When John the baptizer was told it was time to prepare the way for the Lord, he could have applied for the job at the temple baths where the ceremonial cleansing took place in very ornate fashion for those who could afford it. FYI, if you couldn't afford it, by the way, you had to quarantine until a set number of days. But if you were a person of means, you could circumvent the quarantining by paying the sacrifice, and then they had a special place to cleanse you so that you could get right back to life and not be bothered with quarantine. John didn't stay at the temple, though. It had all that gold and fanciness. It had all those ritual baths where the water was clean and clear. Instead, John went out to the Jordan River where the sewers emptied into it. And the animals drank and relieved themselves in it. And the poor went to wash clothes and other things in it. Imagine calling people to a dirty, muddy river, telling them to repent of their dirty, muddy life by stepping into a dirty, muddy river and having whatever is floating by poured over them. And somehow, in a way that only God fully understands, they would be cleansed of every dirty, muddy thing that they had ever thought or done. 
symbolism is rich. But how would you feel if you brought your precious little baby up to the font at our Savior and you looked down into the font, that beautiful shell, and the water was dirty and kind of a brownish color. And you kind of looked at me and I turned and said, don't worry about it. I got the water straight out of Kalawau Stream right here behind the church. By the way, you got to know that stream was a favorite of the Ali'i and right down the load they had a special bath place that they would come to and rest. So I guarantee that this water is perfect and you probably won't get leptospirosis from it. Do we honestly understand what baptism is? Would we rather have clean, purified water in a gold basin? Or do we understand that it's not really the water, but it's a God who loves us? You see, baptism is more than just a quick sprinkle and a reason to stop for ice cream on the way home. It's God wrapping himself around us, sealing us with his Holy Spirit, and marking us with the cross of Christ forever. You see, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, baptism allows us to still belong to God. Baptism is the specific act of God where He fulfills all righteousness. He pays for every single one of our sins through the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of His Son, Jesus. And then He immerses us in His redeeming work, so surrounding us with His love and grace and mercy that Satan and hell, no matter how hard they try, the best they can do is get a fingernail or two on us. You know the message of John the Baptizer, making straight paths, leveling mountains, filling in holes? It can't be separated from the act of baptism. You see, on that day, muddy water and all, God announced he was on the move. And Satan and hell and anyone who stands against him better get out of the way because he's not going to let anything stop him. No mountain or hill or valley or ritual or tradition is going to keep him from gathering his people, washing them of everything that is unclean and sealing and sanctifying them as his own forever and ever. You see, God sees your life. He sees all of your life. He sees the valleys of despair. He sees the mountain where you crawled up on top and declared yourself to be better than everybody else. You were the king or the queen of all. He sees all the moments that you were so lost that you didn't even know which way was up. And he announces that none of that is who you are. It doesn't matter what names the world has given you. He knows your identity as a unique and unreproducible miracle. And he'll never forget that. He will not allow anything to stand in the way of his love. Oh, you can reject him. You can turn your back on him. You can allow the world to give you names or give yourself your own name. But that will not stop him from holding his arms out because that's how much he loves you. If there's one thing more than all the rest as to why I love baptism, being all God all the time, it's because I know me. And maybe you know you. To discover that God's love for you and me is so great that whether we got baptized in a lake, a river, a small church, a hospital room, or a kitchen, if the water came from one of those 60,000 bottles of aqua de Cristolo Tributo or Moga Delani or a muddy creek, if Charlton Heston or our grandma or some homeless guy did the baptism, it's all the same to God. He looks into our hearts and souls and he calls us his own. He confirms our identity by naming us, setting us apart, and initiating us into a lifelong journey of grace that ends in heaven, where we spend forever and ever. For most of us, our baptism happened a very long time ago. 
and most Lutherans were so tiny they don't remember it. They just remember what they've been told or maybe some pictures they've been shown. Luther said, every time you wash your face, think of your baptism. By the way, this is not to give us a warm fuzzy or a sentimental moment. It's not even to get us to pull out those old pictures to look at them. No, it is to remind us that the world we live in is not safe, that there are forces of darkness out there that want to undo us. But God isn't going to leave us to that. He claimed us and made us his own. Now, Luther warned us that we dare not think baptism is so gracious and so great a thing that God will not count our sins against us, and that by virtue of our baptism, as soon as we turn from our sin, everything is right again that we can live and do our own will. And when we're about to die, just remember our baptism, remind God of his covenant, and then walk straight into heaven. It doesn't work that way. You see, baptism without faith is worthless. Baptism without faith is just a sprinkling or a dunking with water. You might as well be in a swimming pool or out for a little bit of a, a walk in the rain. You see, it becomes nothing more than a party where you get to have ice cream on the way home. And even if it took place in the world's most beautiful church and the most brilliant and popular preacher did the baptism and the water cost $60,000 for a bottle and there was an endless buffet afterwards, if there is no faith and no Jesus, then there is no baptism. But if there is faith, faith, by the way, is a gift of God himself because that's how much he loves you and how much he wants to spend eternity with you then it doesn't matter if the water is a little muddy, if it's contained in a cracked bowl on a plastic table, and the pastor's robes and stoles are worn and faded. Because if God is there, then whether it's the tiniest and youngest of babies or the oldest, oldest and crankiest of seniors, God will immerse them in his holy water, even if it's just a drop or two, and he will seal them with his Holy Spirit, and he will mark them with the cross of Christ forever, so that whenever Satan or hell try to reach out for them, the most that they're ever going to get is just a fingernail or two. For the one who is baptized has been named by God, set apart and initiated on a journey of grace that's going to last their whole life. Their identity their identity that will never change is found in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.